Today we're going to complete chapter 15, God willing. It's the chapter where Shaul fails to wipe out Amalek. It's a famous chapter. We read it on Shabbat Zachor, the Shabbos before Purim. And it's appropriate to read it before Purim because in this chapter, when King Saul fails to utterly wipe out Amalek, he leaves the king of Amalek alive, King Agag. And we know that Haman, the villain of Purim, is a descendant of Agag. He's introduced in Megillah Esther as Haman, Hamedata, the Agagite, that is from Agag. So you see right there what the sages say, he was mercy upon the cruel, will someday be cruel unto the merciful. The same King Agag, who Saul spared, is the one who eventually fathered Haman, who almost wiped out the Jewish people. So instead of them getting wiped out, we almost got wiped out. And it's interesting that the hero of Purim, Mordechai, he's also from the tribe of Benjamin, just like Saul, and he's like the tikkun. He corrected what Saul was unable to do. Mordechai is the one who takes care of Haman the Amalekite. Anyway, we saw all along that Saul wasn't thinking that he was intentionally disobeying the commandments. Nobody ever does think he's intentionally doing something wrong. He'll always justify it. And Saul claimed he kept the king of Amalek alive in order to kill him later in a public execution like Joshua did against the five Amorite kings. And he claims that he kept the spoil alive. Why? Because as he said twice already to Shmuel, he says he was planning to offer up the spoil as a sacrifice to God. And that's why he didn't wipe it out. Now that's his claim. Shmuel wasn't buying it. And we saw in the last year that Shmuel tells Saul that God doesn't need more sacrifices. He desires that you obey him. That's what he says in verse 23. Shmuel Listening to God is more important than performing rituals of sacrifice. Lakshiv, Michalavizim, obeying God is what counts, not some more fats of rams that are burning on the altar. And there are many lessons you can take from this for today because we too are obsessed with the ritual part of Judaism and less with Hashem himself. That is, we're more interested in the commandments than the commander. And there's something else we can take from this. And that's not to try to improve on the commandments. That is, don't do Hashem any favors. That is, even if Saul was planning to kill the animals later as sacrifices or to execute a gog later, that's not what Hashem asked you to do. So don't do him any favors. And Rabbi Kahana compares what Saul did to what the reform and conservative rabbis of today do, that they'll give a heter, they'll give permission for somebody, let's say, to drive to their shul, to drive to the synagogue on Shabbat, even though it's totally against Jewish law. There's no Orthodox rabbi that will allow you to drive a car on Shabbat. But the reform rabbi will allow it and he'll justify it. And he'll say, look, if this guy doesn't drive to my shul on Shabbat, he's not going to come to shul. He'll go to the beach. So I'll give him a heter to drive to my synagogue on Shabbat. And then he'll enjoy a Shabbat experience. Maybe this will bring him closer to Hashem. So I'm doing this for you, Hashem. I'm doing it for you. I'm violating the Torah law in order to enhance this Jew's experience to get closer to you, Hashem. It's like you're telling Hashem, Hashem, step aside. Let me handle it. By the same token, the rabbi who conducts a wedding of intermarriage between a Jew and a non-Jew, he also justifies it. He says, well, look, they're going to get married anyway. So let's at least let this work in our favor. Let's give them a little Yiddishkeitness ceremony. Maybe that will ignite a spark or whatever. You see, Hashem, I'm doing it for you. So step aside, Hashem, and let me show you how it's done. Anyway, let's go back to our chapter. At this point in the story, Shmuel has told Saul that because Saul has rejected God, therefore God has rejected him as being the king of Israel. And that's about as severe a statement that you can make. Shmuel's basically telling Saul that his reign will come to an end. He's been rejected. And there's nothing left for Saul to really do now. He's been trying to justify himself the whole time to no avail. And all that's really left for him at this point is to try to save face. So think of it. Saul and Shmuel are having this heated discussion. 
it's between the two of them. The people don't know what they're saying to each other and they're not sure what's going on between them, but they know something's going on. And Saul doesn't want to be publicly shamed by the prophet. And if Shmuel just goes on his way now and leaves Saul hanging, that will be embarrassing. And so now Shaul says in verse 25, Vata, and now, Sana et chatati, please forgive my sin, Veshuvi me, and come back with me, Veshtachavela Hashem, so that I can bow before the Lord. So what's Saul asking of Shmuel here? Return with me. Don't leave me hanging in front of everybody now. After all, I admitted that I sinned, and that's hinted in the word shuvi me, return with me. But shuv also comes from the word shuva. I've done shuva on this. And so come back with me that I may ishtachavel Hashem, I can bow to the Lord or worship the Lord. What does he mean by that? He means that he'll pray to Hashem now, hoping that Hashem will accept his tshuva. Or he could be talking about praying to Hashem and thanking him for the victory over Amalek. But he doesn't want to do it alone. While the people are watching, he wants Shmuel to return with him. Verse 26, And Shmuel said to Saul, I'm not going to go back with you. For you have rejected the word of the Lord. And so Hashem has rejected you as king over Israel. So Shmuel is repeating what he said back in verse 23 of a few verses ago. You have rejected Hashem. So Hashem has rejected you. Here he says it in a longer way, basically telling King Saul, it's too late. Your tshuva is not accepted. I am not going to return with you. So even if we say that Saul's tshuva was complete, and we saw that it wasn't totally complete. He didn't admit it all the way. But let's say it was complete. It's still a problem for his tshuva to be accepted. And that's because incorporated in his sin is chilul Hashem. By not wiping out Amalek, he did not sanctify Hashem's name. That means there was chilul Hashem involved here. And so it's not a personal tshuva we're talking about. This is more like a national blunder. And how can you fix something like that? That's why Shmuel can't easily return with Saul. Because Saul's failure to wipe out Amalek is a chilul Hashem. It disgraces the name of Hashem because Amalek is a symbolic enemy. They represent everything that goes against Hashem. This was a spiritual war too. And if Shmuel just lets the thing slide in front of the people who are watching, then that would be making a statement that you're taking chilul Hashem lightly. And that's what makes this sin so severe. King David sinned in the Bathsheba episode. And that might have been even worse if you think about what he did, but that was more on a personal level, not as the king, but as an individual who sinned. Saul's sin is in his capacity as the king of Israel. It's a national sin. And that's why he's being rejected as king, where David's sin was more on an individual level. It wasn't in the national scope. And so Hashem could forgive it somewhat. Not that David didn't get severely punished for what he did, but he didn't lose the malchut over it. Verse 27, And Shmuel turned to go. And he caught hold of his coat and it tore. Verse 28, And Shmuel said to him, just the way that coaches tore, so has the Lord torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. And he will give it to somebody who's better than you. This was pretty dramatic, but it's also ambiguous because you really can't tell who tore the coat of whom and whose coat was ripped here. It doesn't really say. It says Shmuel turned to go and he seized the skirt of his robe and it tore. So there are three possibilities. You could say that when Shmuel turned to go, Saul reached out. He seized his robe and it tore inadvertently. And then Shmuel said to him, just as my coat just tore inadvertently, well, that's a sign that the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. You can also say that Shmuel just tore his own coat and he seized the skirt of his coat. That is, he tore his own coat and said, I'm tearing this coat as a sign that your kingdom will be torn from you. And that way it wasn't something accidental, but Shmuel did it intentionally, kind of the way Achia Hashiloni, the prophet, 
tore up his coat into 10 pieces and gave it to Yeravam and Avat as a sign that he's going to be the king over 10 tribes. Here, of course, it's the opposite. He's tearing his coat to say Saul's going to lose the kingdom. And there's a final possibility that Shmuel tore the coat of Saul. That is, he tore it like they did to Dreyfus or something like that. And after making a tear in Saul's coat, Shmuel says, the Lord has torn the kingdom of Israel from you today. I don't know if there's any nafkamina here or practical difference who tore whose coat or whose coat it was, but the verse does leave it ambiguous. And what does Shmuel say after telling Saul that the kingdom will be torn from him? He will give it, Mimeka, to your fellow Jew who's better than you. And he never tells him who it is. And that, of course, is going to drive Saul crazy. It's going to make him paranoid. He doesn't know who's going to replace him. He's always going to have to watch his back. Now, if you remember back in chapter 13, after Saul didn't wait the seven days, Shmuel said something similar to Saul. He said that, He says, your kingdom will not endure. So it could have lasted a couple generations afterwards. But here, after the Amalek sin in our verses here, it's much more abrupt. It's not just that your kingdom won't endure, but I'm tearing your kingdom from you. So there is a difference between what Shmuel said in chapter 13 and what he's saying now. Not only will Saul's kingdom not endure, but it's going to be torn away. That's a lot worse. Okay, so now that Shmuel has told Saul that the kingdom will be torn from him and will be given to another Jew better than him, he, he continues in verse 29 and says, And that's a very famous saying even today, which literally means that the eternity of Israel won't lie. That's the literal translation of Netzach Israel, but some translate it as the strength of Israel won't lie or the glory of Israel won't lie, for he is not a man to regret or repent. And the simple understanding of the verse is that now that Hashem has determined this, that Saul is going to lose the Malchut, it's been torn from him, there's no backseas on this one. Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker. Hashem's not lying. He's not going to reverse the decision. He's not a politician who says things that are nice at the time and then changes his mind. That's the pshat. But it also means that what Shmuel is saying here is that, yes, yeah, Saul's kingdom is going to be discontinued, but Hashem won't break his promise concerning the glory and strength of Israel. That is, the king might go under, but Hashem's glory isn't. The king might go under, but the kingdom of Israel won't. If there's no Saul, then there's going to be the Davidic line. That's Netzach Yisrael Oishaker, that Hashem is eternal and His glory lasts forever, and it's not dependent on one person. And the verse ends, Kilo Adam Hu because Hashem's not a man who repents or regrets anything. A human being, he'll occasionally break his promise, especially if the other person angers him or does something that causes him to regret and break his promise. But the Almighty is unchanging. He is not going to break his promise. He's Netzach Yisrael. And by the way, the verse Netzach Yisrael lo yishaker, the initials of that are Nun Yud Lamed Yud, Nili. And Nili was an underground group and they were led by the Aronsons and they were Moser Nefesh. They dedicated themselves to get the Turks out of Israel in the pre-state days, and they call their group Nili Netzach Yisrael Lo Yishaker. Anyway, after that, Saul says to Shmuel the following in verse 30, Vayomer, and he said, Chatati, I have sinned. Ata kamdenina, now please honor me, neged ziknei in the presence of the elders, the neged Yisrael, and in the presence of the people of Israel. Veshuvimi, please return with me. So I can bow to the Lord your God. So once again, Saul is requesting that Shmuel returns with him. Don't leave him hanging there. It'll be very embarrassing. If everybody watching this sees that Shmuel just bolts and leaves Saul standing there, and Saul returns to the people without the head rabbi there, Shmuel. So Saul is saying to Shmuel, don't leave me here alone. It doesn't look good. The commentators on Saul's words, please honor me. They say the following, Please don't disgrace me 
during my lifetime. It doesn't look good if you as the head rabbi leaves me hanging here and the people are watching this. And it says in the next verse, And Shmuel returned with Saul and Saul bowed down to the Lord. So Shmuel in the end does return with Saul. He wasn't about to let this Jew be disgraced in front of everybody. Even though he said before that Shmuel couldn't let this thing just slide because of the Chilul Hashem. He could not just go back with Saul and show the people that he's taking Chilul Hashem lightly. On the other hand, the dignity of this Jew is at stake. Shmuel is not about to embarrass him. He's not about to shame him in front of everybody. That's not part of the deal here. And that consideration overrides the consideration of the Chilul Hashem. After all, he's already rebuked him, tore his kingdom away. He doesn't have to now embarrass him before everybody. And the sages say that it's better to jump into a fire than to make somebody blush out of embarrassment. We learned that from the story with Yehuda and Tamar. In any case, Shmuel does return with Saul, which brings us to the next verse, Vayomer Shmuel. And Shmuel said, Hagishu alai et egag melech amalek. Bring me a gag, the king of Amalek. Bring him over to me. Let me show you how it's done. And the gag went toward Shmuel. What does it mean he went ba'adanot? Ma'adanot could mean that a gag went in chains. After all, he was captured. He was a prisoner of war. And he went in chains. But most of the commentators learn out that he went delicately from the word adin, ma'adanot. Adin means gently or delicately, or gingerly, like a king walks with grace and class. And the Gag said, Surely the bitterness of death has passed. What does he mean by that? We'll see in a minute. Let's go to the next verse. And Shmuel said, Just as your sword has made women childless, So too will your mother be childless. And Shmuel hewed or chopped up a gag in pieces before the Lord in the Gilgal. So this interaction between Agag and Shmuel, which is obviously a very brief one, there's a lot to learn from it. We learn a little bit here in these verses about King Agag of Amalek, that he went ba'adanot, he went delicately, gingerly, like a king does, in noble fashion. That is, he continued to conduct himself royally, and what did he say? Surely the bitterness of death is turned. Well, whatever that means, he seems to be keeping his composure here, even though it's the last seconds of his life. And not for nothing does the Bible quote him. If the Bible is quoting Agag, there's something to learn from it. And according to Rabbi Kahana, we learn from this why Agag was spared in the first place. You might be wondering that all along. Why did they spare the king? If you're going to have pity, spare the women, the children. Why spare the king? Well, we mentioned already that it said in the verses that they didn't really have pity on them, but the verse says, Chamal alagag, and the best of the sheep. And according to the Malbim, Chamal means, they said, Chaval alav, it's a pity to waste it. It's good stuff. We don't want to just burn it or kill it. That's Chamal. And so Agag was somebody who they respected. The fact is, he's about to go to his death, and he's keeping his composure and speaking like somebody out of Shakespeare. So the people were impressed by Agag and his courage and the dignity he held. And they kept him alive. And the fact is, he is a king. He's not a king for nothing. If he's the king, obviously he has something to him. Even the king of Amalek. So they had some respect for him. They admired him. That's why they kept him alive. And the Rabbi Kahana learns from this that people are often surprised that evil people might have some good attributes. Just because a person is bad, it doesn't mean everything about him is bad. The evil person, he doesn't have horns. 
He might even do a lot of good things. The world isn't black and white, you know, there's gray. And therefore, don't marvel at the fact that sometimes bad people have good parts to them. Nobody's 100% bad. Everybody does something good once in a while. But that doesn't mean that you're not supposed to burn out that evil. That person is still evil and the world will be a better place when he's not around. Now let's go back to Agag's last words before getting hacked by Shmuel. He says, Achen Salmara Mavet. And we say that means, indeed, the bitterness of death has passed. What exactly does he mean by that? So there's a couple of possibilities. According to some, he's saying the bitterness of death has passed because, look, he's a king. He's used to being treated royally. And now here he is in chains, a captive. Life isn't worth living. So he's not afraid to die. The bitterness of death has passed. There's no bitterness in my death because look at me now. Life isn't worth living. I'm defeated. I'm down. It doesn't matter that I die. But according to the commentator, the Raubag, Agag is saying something totally different. He's saying the bitterness of death has passed, meaning he doesn't think he's going to die. The bitterness of death has passed. I'm not going to die. Why? Well, he sees Shmuel coming towards him. This righteous tzaddik with a glow to him, with a beautiful beard. He looks so compassionate. He sees the radiance of the man. And he's figuring, oh, another friar. This man's not going to kill me. The bitterness of death is past. Not that there's no bitterness in my death, but I'm not going to die at all. It's past. And what does Shmuel tell him in the next verse? Oh no. Ka'asher shikla nashim chabecha. Just as your sword has made women childless, so too will your mother be childless. That is, you were cruel to others, you murdered people and made their mothers cry. You caused pain and sorrow. So now it's your mother's turn to cry. You killed innocent people in the cruelest of ways. So you're going to get the same treatment. And then the verse concludes, And Shmuel hacked up or hewed a gag in the Gilgal before Hashem. And the word Vayeshasef, according to Rashi, means that he cut him into four pieces. Rashi says there is no similarity to this word. So we're talking about something pretty brutal here. According to an opinion in the Midrash, Shmuel cut his flesh into olive-sized pieces and fed them to the ostriches. And notice it says that he hewed a gag lefnei Hashem begilgal, before Hashem. When you say that, it's something holy that's happening here. Like when you do a korban, it's lefnei Hashem. This is also lefnei Hashem. This brutal act, which seems so cruel, was before Hashem. And by doing this, Shmuel is giving a shiur. He's giving a lesson to Saul and the rest of the people that you have to burn out the evil and not have mercy on it. But the beauty of the perus of the Ralbag, that Agag thought that Shmuel wasn't going to kill him because he looked so holy and righteous like an angel, that teaches us the most important lesson of the whole story, that a person has to cling to the midot of Hashem. It's not enough to be a nice guy, a compassionate person. That's how Saul was. You have to have the ability to flip those midot, to flip those attributes at the proper time. And only when you do that, then you're showing your Yerei Shamayim. A Jew has to know there's a time for hate, there's a time for love, there's a time for peace, there's a time for war. And you have to know when and how to apply each character attribute. Shmuel the prophet, indeed, he's a holy, compassionate person, but everything he does is in the parameters of the Allah. And now it's not time to be nice. The fact that Shmuel does this and can go against his compassionate, benevolent nature means that he truly is dvekas to Hashem. He clings to Hashem. He clings to Hashem's midot. The fact that he could switch it on and off according to the halacha, according to the situation, that's a true tzaddik. And now we have two more verses to finish off the chapter. Vayalech Shmuel haramata. And Shmuel went to Ramah. That's where he's from, Ramah. That's the name of the place he lives in Ramah. V'sha'ul alayel beto. And Saul went up to his house in Givat Shaul. So Shmuel goes home and Saul goes home. 
in the final verse, Velo Yasaf Shmuel Lerotet Shaul Ad Yomoto. And Shmuel did not see Saul anymore until the day of his death. Ki hitabel Shmuel el Shaul. For Shmuel, he mourned over Saul. Vyashem nichem ki imlichet Shaul al Yisrael. And the Shem was sorry that he had made Saul king over Israel. And again, we mentioned already, Lashon Saginahor, we use the opposite language. It literally says Hashem was comforted that he made Saul the king because we don't want to use the term that Hashem regretted that he made Saul king. So the opposite word is used. The word Nichem is used, which means the comfort. But like we said, Hashem in a way is comforted because in the very next chapter, he's going to do the Tikkun. He's going to have Shmuel anoint David. And that is the Nechama. And we see again how Shmuel took this so hard that Saul, his student, has stumbled now. He's lost a Malchut. Shmuel is mourning over the failure of his Talmud to get the job done. And again, we see how close they were in their relationship. And the verse says that Shmuel no longer came to Saul anymore, but we know that Saul did come to Shmuel. And the Mitzvah that David makes a connection why it says at the end of the verse that Shmuel mourned over Saul and Hashem regretted that he made Saul the king. What does one have to do with the other? That despite the fact that Shmuel was mourning, was so upset over what happened to Saul, that didn't matter to Hashem. Hashem wasn't going to change his mind, no matter how bad Shmuel felt. As the Mitzvah David says, Lo chash bevluto. No matter how bad Shmuel felt about it, Hashem is saying, no, this thing is over. And that's why in the next chapter, we'll see that Hashem tells Shmuel to go anoint me another king. Go to Beit Lechem, to the son of Yishai, and there we're going to meet David.